This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Hello, and thanks for joining us here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino. Welcome to Where Parents Talk, where we examine raising kids today through the lens of science or the lived experience of our guests. On today's show, autonomy supportive parenting may be a new term for many moms and dads. It has existed for several decades and is now the subject of a new book by our guest today. She is a clinical psychologist and practicing therapist specializing in adolescents and children. Dr. Emily Edlin is also an academic, a blogger, an author, and a mother of three. Her first book is called Autonomy Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout and Raise Competent, Confident Children. Dr. Edlin joins us today from Oak Park, Illinois. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much, Leanne. I'm excited to be here and talk to you today. There are so many parenting strategies and approaches out there for parents to consider. What led you to autonomy supportive parenting? Yes, there are so many out there and even more experts and different ways of guiding parents. And I think after I became a mother myself, as also a trained psychologist who had studied child development, psychology, family systems for my whole professional career, and I still felt unsure of myself as a mother, when I looked to that guidance, it to me fell short in a few ways. One is as a social scientist, I realized how a lot of what's out there that's very popular doesn't have much evidence or science behind it. And that was very concerning to me because of the second component, which was how much I felt like a failure, even knowing what I knew and having the background I did in my new motherhood with a newborn and then a toddler and a newborn, there were so many times I would look to guidance and end up feeling worse about myself and that I was somehow failing and there was guilt. And I started hearing that a lot all around me from other parents, especially mothers seeking that support. And so I really started to think about how I can create content and eventually hopefully a book, which is what I was able to do that had a different tone and approach where it was really understanding the parent experience, centering the parent experience as much as the child experience in some parenting guidance, and also with really good science base behind it. And I was familiar with autonomy supportive parenting from my training, but I hadn't really dug into it until I started working on this book. And then I realized, you know, this is being studied rigorously for the last 30 years. And a lot of the principles have made it into mainstream things like taking our child's perspective and having empathy for their experience, offering choices, but I hadn't seen it wrapped up in the whole framework of autonomy supportive parenting with the theory and science behind it. And that's what I was really excited about with this book to be able to do for parents. So it's it's sharing science, but also a set of strategies. So there's 
the theory of it and the big picture and the mindset of autonomous supportive parenting along with actual tools and how to use those tools across parenting points of tension, across dilemmas, across ages. Um, so I was really hoping to create kind of this roadmap for any parent at any point in their parenting journey. If this is an approach that has existed for 30 odd years, why haven't we heard more about it? Well, I found it in journal articles, you know, in academic journals, which most parents aren't reading for good reason and aren't, I mean, I have the training to, as a social scientist to know how to get through those articles. They're not written for the mainstream reader. So there, there are some writings out there that have taken some of these ideas into a more applied way, but it's not, it just hasn't hit the mainstream like we've seen with all these other approaches, like gentle parenting, positive parenting, that have gotten so much attention and focus. Um, so I'm really hoping that we're at a direction right now. We have been a bit at a tipping point with how intensive our parenting has been and so focused on meeting our children's needs. It's kind of burning us out that I think parents are ready and eager for this other way of thinking um, and approaching parenting that's more balanced. So how would you go about then distilling that science and defining what autonomy supportive parenting actually is? Okay, so I'm going to start with the theory and, and bear with me because it's important. <laughs> and I'm trying to take like hundreds of pages and distill it. But there is a theory called self-determination theory that has been backed by research cross-culturally around the world, around all different types of communities, that really all humans at all ages have three fundamental human needs, autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So when those needs are met, we have as humans, greater life satisfaction, greater health, greater outcomes across the board. So, so that's the theory piece of it. And then the science of it has been these last 30 years of parenting studies contrasting autonomy supportive approaches with the opposite, which is considered controlling parenting in the research. So controlling parenting, which I spend a lot of time on in my book, because I think it's a really important concept for us all to understand. Controlling parenting can be very similar to intensive parenting, where we're trying to manage our kids' daily lives and even their outcomes with by using controlling impulses but it's undermining those fundamental human needs. So it, with our best intentions, our kids end up not feeling autonomous, not feeling competent and not feeling as connected. So, so I think it's really important because the parenting research has contrasted these two approaches and found consistently that the autonomy supportive parenting approaches lead to these healthier, happier outcomes for not just kids, but parents and families, but the controlling approaches relate more to the risky outcomes like depression, anxiety, substance abuse. Um, and so it's really important to, to get this science out there, I think. 
It is interesting because there are a whole host of reasons, presumably, why different parents, fathers, mothers use a controlling style. It's easier in many ways. Uh, some people, that's how they were raised. It's all they know. Um, when you're dealing with multiple children, you got to get things done, schedules, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an easy sort of, I want to say trap, but maybe trap's not the best word to fall into for many families. What are some of the arguments for why that in the long term and even the short term is not the best approach and why autonomy supportive parenting should potentially be something to consider. I'm so glad you asked this question. This is basically my entire book. I start with the very beginning, uh, an experience I had with my 11 year old daughter where she had, we had been using cell phone limits you know, for her age at 11, it was appropriate. Uh, she was getting upset about it. And she, as I'm writing this book, she screams at me, you're so controlling. And I'm thinking, but I'm working so hard to be autonomy supportive. Um, and so throughout the book, I really acknowledge that controlling is a continuum for one thing. So the extremes of controlling are things like inducing guilt and shame and trying to really psychologically control children. And most of us aren't doing those extremes. That's more in abusive family dynamics. And, and so that's very clearly related to poor outcomes. But what I, what I get into is the more middle of the controlling continuum that many of us fall into, and you're correct, stress, anxiety, all of that makes us more likely to be controlling. It's a human impulse and it does make things easier in the moment. For example, my big thing was I knew I was supposed to let my toddler click their own car seats. And I just, I was always running late. So I'm like, I just gotta, I gotta click the car seats, <laughs> you know? Um, so one thing I really talk about in the book is I have a lot of vignettes throughout the book about common parenting dilemmas. And then I give examples, scripts of controlling responses versus autonomy supportive responses. And I admit the controlling ones were so easy for me to come up with. I mean, it's things like, if you don't put away that, you know, iPad, you lose it for the week. I mean, we're just like in the moment, we just need to get something accomplished and we're, we become controlling. The problem over time, big picture, is that our children aren't learning about themselves or how to solve problems or to think critically and developing their own authentic sense of self when we're constantly directing and managing and intervening. And really the, the big picture, zooming out, autonomy is, an author is understanding one's authentic sense of self, like feeling like I know who I am, I have mastery over my life and I respect others. Those are kind of the components of being an autonomous person. And so when those really, when those controlling moments add up of, over time, they're not having that sense of I'm in charge of my life. Now, a three-year-old can only be so much in charge, but there are ways we can step back in certain moments and think about how is my child feeling a sense of agency in this moment? And are there things I can do to help them feel a little more agency? That's appropriate and safe, obviously. So, um, 
So I think that's that's where the research misses is the real day-to-day reality of doing all of this. And that was my hope and intention with this book is to translate what's happening in these scientific labs and bring it to real life for, for real parents. You are listening to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Emily Edlin, clinical psychologist specializing in adolescents and children and author of Autonomy Supportive Parenting. Let's go back for a second to the example that you just provided about the iPad and the controlling response. What would an autonomy supportive parent provide as an answer in that specific example? The child is supposed to stop playing on their iPad. It's time to come to dinner, let's say. That happens in my house almost every night. <laughs> so we say, okay, it's time to come to dinner. And they they don't listen. Okay. So you point out, it's really hard for you to stop playing your iPad right now because it's so much more fun than coming to eat broccoli, right? But but your food's... So then you provide a rationale. Your food's going to get cold and then dinner's going to be gross. And if they're still having trouble, you say, well, what should we do about this? It's really hard for you to turn off your iPad and come to dinner, but it's important you to come to dinner to get your food for your body. What should we do? So even asking a child for their idea of a solution, they could come up with, well, could I just finish the five more minutes of this game? And then you decide, you know, is that going to ruin dinner or is that appropriate? You know, so there's some flexibility too, to allow for their experience and have them come up with some solutions. Or maybe they say, would it be okay if I played this much after dinner because I really want to finish this level? So I think what we forget is when we are on our agenda, and this is really true with devices, there could be right in the middle of something and we're telling them just stop now and come. And that's really disruptive. And we don't like that as adults. Like if we're in the middle of a TV show, we wanna finish the TV show. And so I think it's really also understanding what is this like for my child right now? So that's where it's taking their perspective. It's also, I wanna point out maintaining the behavioral expectation to come to dinner. So there is not, that an option can't be to skip dinner and stay on the iPad, right? Um, so it's within within reason. So using that same example, now we're talking about teens, uh, you know, adolescents. Everything yeah. becomes slightly more tricky when you're navigating that age and stage of parenting. How would you approach that from an autonomy supportive um, strategy approach? So I think with teens, what is easier than younger children is that they can think bigger and more longer term. And so if there's a regular difficulty with putting away a device to come do something else, you talk to the teen about this is a problem that's been happening in our family. When we need to get out the door or have a meal, you're having a really hard time getting off your phone or your iPad. And I want to understand why, you know, what's going on for you. So it's having that open and curious mindset. So you state what the problem is, how it's getting in the way. You ask for their experience and input for what it's been like for them to get their their perspective. And then you say, well, let's let's figure out how we can address this problem together. 
And so it's collaborating, involving them in the decision-making of what to do next with it. I have learned with my own, and my oldest is 13, so I know I have a long way to go with adolescence. <laughs> but I've learned, I have said, you know, we've had something in place, a rule in place, she breaks the rule. And I say, what do you think the consequence should be for this? And she comes up with great ones. And so I think it's involving them in all of it, you know? So this is the expectation. Make sure, maybe you're a little flexible as the parent. Maybe you change a little bit what you're thinking based on what they tell you. But then you come up with them, okay, but what if it continues to be a pro problem? What would motivate you to stick with our plan, you know, um, in the moment? Well, if then I didn't get my phone the rest of the night. Okay, so we have an agreement together. And so you come up with it together. Time for a quick break. We will be back in a moment. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. Our guest is Dr. Emily Adlin, clinical psychologist, researcher, mother of three, and first-time author, whose book is entitled Autonomy Supportive Parenting. I'm curious, do you practice autonomy supportive parenting on a regular basis in your home? And if so, have you found it making an impact of some kind? Yes. And it's so funny because I realized as I was researching it, I had been doing a lot of it very naturally. I mean, it, the offering choices, having empathy, you would hope a practicing psychologist would have empathy for their children. Um, I really do take their perspective very easily, things like that. But I think I was missing some of the components that like the involvement in decision-making and really having that curious mindset from the outset, I was sort of missing that sometimes. And it's funny because when we, when my husband and I would face a parenting dilemma over the last year, he would say to me, well, what does your framework say to do about this? Mm -hmm. And I would have to stop and think, what, what would I say? Sometimes I'd have to think, what would I write to another parent if they were going through this? difficulty, this challenge. So I would say that it has helped me be more thoughtful and less reactive. I have become much more aware of my own controlling impulses. And so in those moments, I, it is easier for me to take a beat and shift gears because I've immersed myself so much in understanding the framework. And I will say, I'm going to share an example without giving too much details because I do want to protect my children's privacy. But there was an instance where my husband and I found out from another set of parents something from their perspective that our child had said to a, a good friend, and we're all friends, the parents are friends, the kids are friends. And it upset us a lot that we felt like our child wasn't behaving by their values, uh, that we had taught them differently for how to treat people. So we were heated. I mean, we were ready for a big old lecture to sit them down and really like read the riot act to them. And I realized that is exactly opposite what I am 
encouraging other parents to do. So we, t- I said, we need to calm down. <laughs> we need to wait. And then when we're calm, we're going to ask our child to come talk to us. And we're going to start with only open-ended questions. We're going to say, so what is going on with the situation? Tell us what's been happening for you. This is what, and then after we heard that, we could add, well, this is what we heard. And what ended up happening is we got so much more information about what our child had been going through and their experience. And it connected us in a way that was really important. And we would have lost that entire, that entire experience had we just resorted to our angry lecture. And it really just hit me and stayed with me for why this mindset and approach can be so powerful. It's such a relatable example that you provide. And, you know, as I listen to you describe it, what sort of comes to the surface for me is the idea of greater self-awareness as a parent. When you're talking about things that happen in the heat of the moment, it's usually very reactionary. And it's having that discipline to take that extra time to pause, like you suggested with your husband in that example. Not all of us practice that. Maybe not all of us have that self-discipline. But if you start to become aware of it, uh, it's like anything, I guess. You're practicing it. It should become easier over time, right? Yes. And I really repeat over and over, autonomy supportive parenting is not a label. It's not an identity. It is a practice. And every day you have an opportunity to practice autonomy supportive parenting. It doesn't matter how controlling you were the day before or the hour before. There's still opportunity to have that mindset. I have plenty of moments where I snap at my children. I mean, I am human, you know, and I am very vulnerable about that because I think it's important to normalize that we all get impatient and we all get our buttons pushed and react. And that's human and normal. What I want us all to think about is what kind of overall environment are we creating in our homes with our families? And that's what's important is the bigger picture. So I may have snapped at my kids in the morning when we're rushing to get out the door, but I'm able to spend really good time with them after school or over dinner, we have a really fun conversation at dinner in our family. So I think it's it's remembering all of the pieces that this is not this is not a one hundred percent you know autonomy supportive parenting or bust. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is being very kind to ourselves, which helps the self awareness. I think we're going to be more open if we can be self compassionate as well. Of well, I had a moment and move on. Dr. Edlund, you talked about this sort of style of parenting having been around in science journals for more than three decades. Was there anything in the science, in the research that caught your attention in particular? I mean, what struck me and why I wrote a book about it is how consistent the findings were across. I mean, we're talking studying toddlers, studying school age kids, studying adolescents, studying young adults. Um, doing lab-based studies, self-report studies, meta-analyses, which is like the big study of all the studies. It was the consistency of the findings that that really struck me, which was why I felt it was worthy of a book pulling it all together to very confidently say, this approach is good for us, all of us. 
And I do want to point out one important piece is that the more our needs are met, so the more we feel autonomous, competent, and related to others, the better we can do that for our children. So it's really important, and it is the whole oxygen mask metaphor, but it's very true that we have to prioritize those things first for ourselves and our lives the best we can and know that that helps us have the energy and vigor to do that for our children. You alluded to some of the tools that underpin autonomy, supportive parenting, namely empathy, uh, you know, taking a child's perspective. I wonder if you could describe some of the others, for example, aligning values to behavior and scaffolding as well. Yes. So there's about 10 tools that I won't get into in detail, but those are, these are all really important. So the empathy and perspective taking, which I know a lot of other parenting approaches focus on, it's really important for building the relationship, understanding our child's experience. Um, but the other pieces are really important as well. The scaffolding is really critical for the competence uh, piece of self-determination. And so it's knowing where our children's skills are and we have to do that by really understanding them, but, and remembering each of our children, siblings could have very different places of readiness for different skill development. But once we really have an understanding of our child's skills, then we scaffold by like nudging them to the next step. So making their own breakfast, for example, you know, a three-year-old may be able to get out the cereal and the milk but the pouring may be a little sloppy, right? And so maybe they can get out the ingredients and then we can pour for them. But then when they get a little older, they're better with their fine motor skills and they can pour it all and then they can do it all on their own. And so it's it's meeting our child's where they're at skills wise and then nudging them to the next level. And then when they're ready, we keep backing off so that they keep growing. And I think that's a really critical piece for the competence the values piece is the big picture, which is really important for us staying motivated to keep up this approach and mindset. So remembering that just because we're practicing autonomy supportive parenting does not mean everything feels like it works, quote unquote, in the moment. It's still rocky. We're still gonna have conflict. Things are still gonna be stressful. It's not taking away all of that. But if we realize with clarity that, but we are having this rule in our house, for example, because of our family valuing something. So we, we have a rule around dinners together because we value our family time and connection where everyone's sitting together at our meals regularly. Even when there's some argument about that from the teenager who wants to stay in their room, you stay focused on the values, the reason that you are staying steady with a rule that may be causing some upheaval. I think values keep us focused and steady if we remember what we're doing this all for in the big picture. Dr. Emily Edland, child psychologist, therapist, mother of three, and author, Thank you so much for your time and your perspective today. Thank you so much, Leanne. The book is called Autonomy Support of Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout, and Raise Competent, 
confident children. Be sure to check out what Dr. Edlin has to say about how to pivot from helicopter to autonomy supportive parent in the full video interview and also what she learned writing this book. All that and more at whereparentstalk.com. That is our time. I'm Leanne Castellino. Till next time, happy parenting. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.